Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. It's estimated that over 12 million Americans have cancer. Sadly, cancer pain is prevalent and pain control is often inadequate. Severe and chronic pain occurs in about 33% of patients undergoing therapy and in as many as 67% of patients with advanced disease. However, both our guests, Dr. Oscar DeLeon of the Roswell Park Cancer Institute and Nancy Amato, a patient with pancreatic cancer, make us realize today that cancer pain can be much better controlled than previously thought. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. We're very pleased to have with us Nancy Amato. Nancy works as a nurse anesthetist and has battled pancreatic cancer for the last five years. Nancy, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thanks, Paul. Nancy, tell us about the type of cancer that you have and what kind of pain it causes. Well, I have pancreatic cancer. I was diagnosed five years ago. Prior to diagnosis, I had a lot of pain, upper abdomen, kind of high epigastric, and it would radiate to my back. And it was very, very severe pain. It was very, very sharp. And then when it would radiate to to the back, it would just burn, you know, all along the side and into your back. I mean, how bad did the pain get before you were diagnosed? One night, I woke up in pain, and I said to my husband, you need to get me to ER, or I think I could die. I mean, it was so severe. And we were going over to ER, and and I saw a sign saying that they... Um, you know, treated chest pain and heart attacks. I said, tell them I'm having chest pain because I'll get right in, (laughs) which I did. But they diagnosed me right away. They drew enzymes, you know, pancreatic enzymes and things like that. And that's how they diagnosed, you know, actually like a pancreatitis. Several years later, I had another episode of pancreatitis, and I would have them intermittently, you know, maybe four times a year. But I had one that just did not get better. And I kept saying to them, this is not the same. And it really wasn't until I got jaundice that I got everybody's attention. And um, that's when I was diagnosed. I know you had a Whipple surgery, Nancy, which is used for pancreatic cancer. What was your pain like following the surgery? Um, Initially, what I had was incisional pain. Since then, you know, a lot of times I will have pain for, I don't know, almost no reason. I might have 
an hour of pain or three days of pain. It's always abdominal. Sometimes it'll be on the right side. It doesn't radiate to my back like it did with the, you know, before I had the surgery. I did have four years of remission, but whenever a cancer patient gets pain like that, you think it's back. That's an excellent point. You know, I imagine that if you're relatively pain-free, that you probably believe that the cancer must be stable and must not be spreading. Suddenly, if you feel the pain in the same area or even a new area, then the fear might be, my God, you know, the cancer has come back. That's what I always would think when I would have, you know, pain. And when I did have my reoccurrence in January of this year, then the pain was always lower abdominal on the right side, and it and it would sort of go towards my back, not, it, but it didn't radiate through like it did beforehand. I was told that was from metastasis to the liver. Nancy, do you feel like your life is more limited due to the metastasis? You know, certainly there has been more limitations because I had to go back on chemo. When I was treated five years ago, I worked during chemo. I was okay, but this time I couldn't. It was very, very um, harsh regime of chemo. And I think I had a lot of pain due to some of the drugs that I was getting from chemo. Probably the biggest change for me is that I've been unable to work since January. The cancer therapies, like chemotherapy, can certainly cause as much pain or even more pain than the cancer itself. Have you experienced that? Yes, I have. You know, some of the side effects, effects that I had were like the mouth sores, for instance, which doesn't sound so horrible when you think of pancreatic cancer and that pain. But, you know, if you have mouth sores, you can't eat, you can't drink. And, you know, so that's one. Or, or neuropathy. You know, you'd get a neuropathy from the chemo and you have excruciating pain in your hands and in your feet and that cold and cold sensitivity. So let's talk about those treatments that you found most helpful for your pain. Like for the mouth sores, they will give you like magic mouthwash, they call it, which really basically that just numbs it up for a while. In time, I knew that which day they were going to come, how long they were going to last. And, you know, if you can prepare for that, you know, even in your head, it's okay. And those are the days that I would try to participate in alternative treatment. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we come back, we'll talk with Nancy about the complementary and alternative therapies that she found most beneficial. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. And we're back speaking with Nancy Amato, who has pancreatic cancer. Nancy, tell us about the alternative or complementary therapies that you found useful. I think I tried them all. <laughs> but I tried things like meditation and visualization and healing touch and Reiki and massage. And I mean, honestly, Paul, I tried everything. And 
all of them had value. You know, I actually had prayer partners. And a lot of times, you know, to start your day off with prayer and meditation kind of puts you in a different zone for that day. And I found sometimes when I would skip over maybe prayer and meditation and visualization, maybe my day wasn't going so hot. So, Or if I'm having a lot of pain, if I use one of the alternative methods I've learned, it seems to ease the pain somewhat. There's recent research that shows that music therapy may help people with cancer reduce their pain. What kind of music do you listen to, and does it have a pain-reducing effect? Yes, I do use music. A lot of the music I use, they, it doesn't have words usually. Okay, it'll be an instrumental or a piano, and it's very soothing. Now and then I use tapes that do have someone speaking. And it is usually someone trained and helping you visualize. You know, and there's always music in the background. Nancy, are you afraid that the pain may get worse? Yes. That's that's a huge fear. Because you hear horror stories about cancer and pain and death and how they couldn't control someone's pain. So which pain medicines have you found the most useful? The only thing I've ever taken prior to the reoccurrence this year was Percocet. I've always taken five milligrams. Then when I had the reoccurrence in January, they gave me Oxycontin. The first couple times I took that, I would just get horribly nauseated. And I thought... I mean, I don't know if this is worth taking. And I was on a pretty low dose, 20 milligrams. About a week later, that nausea went away. And the Oxycontin, honestly, when that chemo was so bad, you know, with the side effects and the pain, really did work. And about how much relief did it provide? I mean, 30% relief, 20%, 80% relief? Probably 95% relief of pain. Wow. Yeah, but I still had, like, sleep disturbances on it. I know some people say pain medication makes them sleep well. It doesn't for me. I sort of, I feel like I'm, I don't rest real well on it. What single bit of advice can you give to those suffering from pain due to cancer? Do anything they have to do to get the pain under control so you can improve the quality of your life not just opiates, not just pain medication. I absolutely need a great oncologist because I think we need to work with the medical science part of it and also with the alternative. Nancy, at the end of life, whenever that is for you, what will you do to make sure that you don't die in pain? I will contact hospice, definitely, yes, which will be a very difficult thing for Chris. He looks at it differently than I do. He looks at it as giving up. Where, you know, we're all going to die someday. And I just know that I spent the last day of my dad's life with him in hospice. And I spent the night with him. He was only in there just a few days, okay? And they got his pain under control. He was totally comfortable. And I had probably the most phenomenal night of my life with him. 
a peaceful death is a gift. And that's the gift I want for my children and my husband. You know, I don't want one where, you know, I'm in so much pain that it's horrible for them to witness that. Yes, I agree. And finally, how would you like to be remembered? (laughs) Well, one thing is, I don't want to ever be remembered as being the miracle person that survived pancreatic cancer. I want this to be the norm someday. The statistics in pancreatic have not changed in 30 years. Um, There's, I mean, only 4% of the people make it to five years and probably, you know, 90% die in the first year. Um, And I I do want to see that change. It's just a devastating disease for not just the patient, but the whole family. Nancy, I'm, I'm grateful for your time today. Thank you very much for joining us on Aches and Gains. You're welcome. And good luck in all your work, Paul. I think what you're doing is such a good thing, and it's really going to help people. Thank you. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return, we'll learn about the most effective treatments for cancer pain with Dr. Oscar DeLeon. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Dr. Oscar DeLeon is Professor of Oncology, Chief of Pain Medicine, and Director of Research in the Department of Anesthesiology at Roswell Park Cancer Institute. Dr. DeLeon, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Christ. It's a pleasure to be here. Oscar, tell us which cancers are the most painful. We are no longer uh, treating a majority of patients who have uh, tumor-related pain. But now, uh, amazingly enough, half of our population that we see in the clinic has uh, pain related to the treatments that have been implemented in order to control the pain. So as far as the tumor is concerned, uh, the most frequent ones that we see are uh, breast, lung, uh, multiple myeloma, and prostate. Oscar, what percentage of patients with cancer develop pain? Because according to the statistics that I've read, it's quite high. The national statistics quote a number of 90% throughout the lifetime of a patient who suffers from cancer. But I think that uh, the most significant statistic is those who develop severe pain and uh, uh, that in in that regard deserves the the care uh, by a pain specialist. And that number is 30 to 40%. It's staggering to note that almost 50% of dying patients lack adequate pain control at death. That is correct. From the uh, American College of uh, uh, clinical oncologists, 40% of the patients that they treat in-house do not have adequate pain controls. The good news is with the techniques that we have, there is a 99% um, probability that uh, they will uh, achieve adequate pain control when they die, that they will be in uh, almost uh, complete comfort. So this, this is very reassuring at this point in time. That's great news. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return, we'll talk to Dr. DeLeon about why cancer patients continue to suffer with so much pain. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. 
Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back. Dr. DeLeon, tell us why cancer pain is still so prevalent today. That study that I quoted you about the 40% not having adequate pain control uh, identified the uh, shortcomings and, uh, and they documented that uh, lack of communication uh, between the uh, pain specialist and the uh, treating physician was one of the factors for that high number. And the other one is the fact that patients did not complain to the medical oncologist because they think that they are going to uh, take away the uh, focus of the treatment out of cancer and that uh, they don't want to uh, disturb their physicians with a pain concern. Oscar, how important is it to have cancer pain treated as early as possible? You don't have to wait until uh, uh, pain is uh, uh, very, very high in level uh, in order to seek uh, assistance because uh, uh, the likelihood that um, controlling this problem will be more difficult at this stage is very high compared to those who has vis- who had visited us earlier in the stages. Which treatments have the greatest evidence base for effectiveness in treating cancer pain today? We are um, implementing pharmacological management in uh, 90 to 95% of our patients with success. Combinations of uh, opioids, anticonvulsants, and tricyclic medications that work on nerve pain, topical creams, etc., can be associated with a success rate of up to 95%. I think it's important to to note that uh, only 5 to 10% of the patients will need uh, invasive procedures. The delivery of medications directly in the spinal canal, the delivery of electric impulses close to nerves that may be affected by surgery or chemotherapy in order to control pain, the use of heat to uh, temporarily inhibit the uh, functioning of certain nerves that may be associated with pain. Very rarely now spinal cord stimulation, which is delivering electrical impulses directly in an area of the uh, spine in order to control pain. Oscar, we know how effective opioids are in treating cancer pain, but are, are we risking abuse, misuse, and addiction to opioids as well? Yes, we're living through an epidemic. So one has to be very watchful because even though they may have a legitimate source of pain, that doesn't mean that because of these intrinsic changes in the central nervous system, they will not abuse the medication. And let's not forget that cancer patients still have the same risk of misuse, abuse, and addiction to opioids as non-cancer patients. And Oscar, tell us when the neurolytic blocks, that is those nerve destruction injections to help treat cancer pain in the abdomen or the pelvis should be used. Typically what we do is check a uh, CAT scan to determine if the disease has evolved or uh, metastasized to uh, uh, lymph nodes in the region. So under those circumstances, we don't use them anymore. Oscar, let's talk about these intrathecal pumps or pain pumps that you and I both implant that deliver small doses of medicines to the fluid-containing space around the spinal cord. Uh, I actually am very thankful that we have this alternative to treat patients who, A, have not responded to uh, combinations of oral medications as we would like to, or those who have experiencing a significant amount of side effects. We, we first use a trial, and the trial in our hands is done so that we can determine the doses of the uh, medications that the patients need and uh, the combinations of drugs that they may need. But the nice thing about it is that we already go 
into the implantation with a guarantee, so to speak, that the technique is going to work. In your experience, what type of cancer pain is most successfully treated with pain pumps? We have been uh, very, very happy with the success rate in pancreatic cancer. We have used it in patients with uh, metastatic uh, bone lesions, whether it is limited to the bone or we have this, uh, what we call paravertebral masses with uh, uh, nerve involvement. Uh, we have used it for uh, patients who have had erosion of the hips with fractures and uh, for patients who have had uh, treatment-related pain that don't respond to therapy. Wrapping things up, what specific recommendations do you have for any of us who suffer from cancer pain? I would say that uh, if after two months of therapy, uh, the pain is not controlled, to try to find a place that has a cancer pain-dedicated clinic so that they can have the best quality of care that is available for this purpose. Do you agree? Absolutely. Dr. DeLeon, thank you very much for being here today. It has been my honor and my pleasure. I appreciate uh, the invitation. I hope that my comments uh, have been and will be useful to your audience. I'm sure they will. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Here we have a question from Paul in Andover, Massachusetts. I was involved in an automobile accident in August of 2006. I had back surgery to release two pinched nerves and a discectomy. It was later revealed that I had damage to the sciatic nerve and I had all the symptoms associated with that. When I'm driving, I can feel like the nerve is being pinched and causing more pain and I'm unable to get comfortable. Is there anything I can do to alleviate this pain and feeling? Well, Paul, sitting increases the stress on the discs that separate our spinal bones. So many people with back pain feel worse with sitting. But this is not the same as neuropathic pain or pain arising from nerve injury, which is what it sounds like you're describing. The main distinction that needs to be made in people who have back pain is whether or not it involves nerve injury or neuropathic pain or degeneration slash injury to the structural components of the spine, which would be more mechanical pain. Studies have estimated that about one-third of people with chronic low back pain have mostly neuropathic pain. This is important because it affects how your pain should be treated. For example, an epidural steroid injection or a targeted nerve block can be beneficial. Medicines in the anticonvulsant category like gabapentin or Neurontin can provide pain relief as well. And we have a question from Imelda in Phoenix, Arizona. I have pain in my buttock, lower back, and back of my leg. I was lifting a heavy box while clearing my garage and felt this tightness and strong achiness. What can I do about it? Imelda, it may be coming from your discs, muscles, facet joints of your spine, or the sacroiliac joint, more likely. The sacroiliac joint, which connects your spine to your pelvis, is commonly injured when lifting heavy objects or in car accidents. Pain from the sacroiliac joint can be felt in the low back, buttock, thigh, or even shooting into your leg, just like sciatica. It's often worsened when rising from a sitting position. The best way to figure out if your sacroiliac joint is the source of your pain is by diagnostic blocks, which involve injecting local anesthetic, which is numbing medicine, into the joint, often with some steroid added. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. 
nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.